0: Welcome to Quad Life. I'm your host, Brian Bell. On today's show, Ed Bell. This is part one of a two-part interview with Ed. Ed grew up in East Vancouver in the 60s and 70s, in the days of rumbles and street gangs. Ed was interested and liked anything mechanical. After finishing high school, he got a job with agency press, learning the ins and outs of the printing business. He also married the love of his life, Nancy, and they are still rocking after 44 years. After a motorcycle accident left him a paraplegic, Ed returned to work with Agency Press until 1993 when they closed their doors. At that time, Ed was purchasing his medical supplies from Dave Elder and his company, Advanced Mobility. Dave and Ed got along so well that Dave offered Ed a job pulling wrenches. From there, Ed moved on to sales and has helped countless people find a comfortable fit in their otherwise uncomfortable wheelchairs. Ed is also a founding member of the Association of Injured Motorcyclists and has built a number of Harley Davidson trikes over the years. Ed finally retired after 20 years with advanced mobility. He now plans to travel the world with Nancy and see all those places we all dream about and ride off into the sunset. So welcome to
1: Quad Life, Ed. Quad Life, but I'm a para, Brian. I know, but you have a lot to do with quadriplegia. So. You know, it's funny, I, I Google searched you. There's nothing I could find other than an old LinkedIn site and maybe an obituary, and uh, I think there was a Wikipedia page on your blues career, but I don't think that's you.
2: Oh, definitely not, man. Unfortunately, day- Ed Ed Bell uh, is actually a really common name. I I lived when I first moved out to pork equipment. My next door neighbor's name was Ed Bell. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it messed up the
2: oh crap. It messed up the mailman. Something fierce. His address was forty forty six. Mine was forty forty Oxford Street. Those side by side. And his kids. Uh, he had three boys, and they're good kids now. They're all grown up now, but they they got into a little bit of trouble when they were younger. And the cops would come to my door instead of his. They'd look at me, and I was only a couple of years older than their sons. they look and go, oh, you're Norman's father? And I went, oh, no, next door. <laughs> you're Stewart's father? No, that's next door.
1: <laughs> that's hilarious. So how, yeah, do I, manage, how do you manage to stay under the radar and uh, you know, off the social media hurricane?
2: I don't do that. I just, there's no... Uh, I got sucked into LinkedIn and so I basically just ignore it and I've managed to stay off of Facebook. I got talked so my daughter. I was talking to my daughter about selling a bunch of little motorcycle parts because I'm trying to clean up the shop and over the years with all the different trikes that I've built, I've collected a fair amount of Well, I'd like to. It's to me, it's crap. It's all really good parts that people should buy from me. But, um, so I said, Well, I'm going to put it on Craigslist. Oh, no, Craigslist is like, that's old school. She says, You want to go on to Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. And I didn't think too much of it. And then I was out with lunch with an old buddy of mine, and he was saying the same thing. Oh, man. He says, I've been selling a lot of my old guitars and amplifiers on. Facebook Marketplace, I really love it, so I came back and phoned up my daughter and said, "Okay, fine, get me hooked up." She goes, "Well, you got to join Facebook," and I went, "Okay," which wasn't top of my priorities of things to do. And so, yeah, so then I got on Facebook, and so it kind of drives me nuts because I, you know, I bought this pontoon boat, and I didn't run around telling a lot of people what I was up to or anything. And about uh, two days after the first time we went out on it, and somebody took some pictures of me and Nancy, our very first day out on the boat, right? And they pasted them to my daughter. And then we sent my, somebody took a picture. My wife went, oh, it's a great picture. Send it to me. She sent it to my daughter. My daughter posted it on Facebook. So then I get a phone call two days later from a client of mine who I haven't talked to in years. Oh man, how's your new boat going? It's like what? Like, what are you talking about? Uh, new boat? What? And he goes, oh, he says, I've seen pictures on Facebook of you with your new boat, and you had a big, shitty grin on your face. And
1: oh man, that really tarnishes uh, your uh, my image. Your, your Im- image image is a badass. You were yeah. a of, you
3: were a bit of a badass. Um. What were you doing before you got injured? Uh, what was I doing? Well, before I
2: got injured, I was, um, I finished up an apprenticeship in the printing trade. So I was working at a fairly large uh, printing company in Vancouver. I was making pretty good money. You know, I, uh, shops, uh, not shop steward, uh, department supervisor. So, you know, um, higher end union, at, you know, higher end union job it was it was great it was one of those like i i'm really mechanical so anything that went operating machinery and stuff like that really fascinated the hell i mean printing presses are uh quite amazing involved pieces of machinery um so they always fascinated me uh so i was doing that and i was riding motorcycles and i was partying
3: having a good time
2: i was having a good time why not i was like uh 22 years old and uh making decent money moved out of the house uh
1: yeah everything was, was everything was going your way how
3: did you get injured again motorcycle yeah uh trip up to Oh, well, we had done a,
2: done a roundabout trip up to the Kootenays, uh, visit some friends up in mine and Trail and uh, Rosalind actually. A couple old buddies of ours from school, uh, once school is finished up, they, their dream were to go out and live in Rosland and become ski bums. Nice. And uh, they bought a little cabin up there. So me and a you know, a couple other guys from school who knew them who had bought motorcycles after we got out of school, rode up there, spent the night with them, and then we were touring up. We ended up at a, ended up partying in the, in the cusp uh the day before my accident and had just gone across the little ferry. If you go to, I don't know if you know the area, you know that area?
1: Yeah, actually, I, I, I went up there uh with my wife and daughter and a good buddy and his son and wife. Yeah, uh, it's a like I love the
2: Kootenays. Uh, you know, a lot of people oh, rave about the Okanagan, but I've always thought the Kootenays were even more beautiful than the Okanagan. Um, yeah, so there's a little ferry that crosses over. Cable, uh, a little cable ferry crosses over, it's it actually goes to a little place called Farquhar. And then you go uh, up over the Montesquieu Pass, and you're in Lumbee. And then and from Lumbee, you're in Vernon. And that's where we were heading. We were heading from the cusp over to – the, the honest truth, Brian, is we were trying to get to Lumbee because it was Lumbee days, and they were, they had a beer garden. And this was before you could drink on Sundays. This oh, was man. back when the, the bars were still
3: closed on Sundays. Right on. So that, you know <laughs> – <laughs> it's like not a not a uh, well, yeah,
2: cold beer sure that's a good enough reason to go to that town, isn't it
1: so you you just crashed on your harley then or
2: yeah, just uh came around the corner literally a couple k out of outside of uh this little town called park park, and uh yeah, went off the side of the road, nothing no spectacular crash and stuff flying or anything just up high-sided kind of slid down the embankment and uh from what i understand um just hit a rock just came up against a a sharp rock sticking up out of the ground and it just snapped my spine right right then and there because i remember like almost instantly going holy shit and can't you know, trying to sit up, can't sit up, can't move my legs. And like, so it had had happened. There was no, there was no, you know, oh, it was two hours later on the bumpy ride home in the ambulance. Because where we were too, it was, uh, I laid on the side of the road for, oh man, two, two and a half hours before the the ambulance had to come from
3: Vernon. Holy crap.
2: So, yeah, I laid there. I laid in the side of the road. But there was a. I always remember uh, the, the other people with us had gone into Farquhar to get a phone, to phone somebody, and they found the. Uh, there was a first aid guy that lived. He was a first aid attendant. He lived in Farquhar. He had a backboard. He actually came out, made sure that they didn't move me. Like, he was really on the ball, you know, because. We're talking, you know, a long time ago on spinal cord injuries and how to deal with that kind of stuff on the side of the road, not moving anybody. That's, uh, it was good. So he, he came and put the backboard and strapped me into the backboard and stabilized me, and then he waited. They waited for the ambulance. Everybody hung around and waited for the ambulance to come. Except for one, my best friend was in front of me. I was second coming off the ferry. He was in front of me. He had no idea. He he said I was sitting on the he says I was sitting having a beer in the beer gardens in Lumpy when the ambulance ambulance went out. The ambulance came right through town apparently. sirens blazing. He wow. says I was sit he says, I couldn't figure out where the hell everybody was. He says, I didn't think I was that far in front of everybody.
1: And then the sirens kind of gave me a hint after a while
2: again. You no, know, he's he says he still didn't know. Oh wow. He just figured maybe it was another accident and that's why we were late. It wasn't until the rest of the the rest of the group came up behind the ambulance into Lumbee and found him and said, Ed's in the ambulance, you know, he had to load his bike in the in the truck and so uh,
3: My uh
1: my buddy Rocky always says, you know, uh, he calls it getting cooled.
3: How old were you when you got cooled? Oh shit. I was twenty three. Twenty three. So married for married for like oh my God, Were we a year? Wow. Yeah, we were a year. We'd been married for a year. Yeah, We'd I had a year. as you know, I had to
1: go at being married and didn't work out so well. Um like it does for a lot of us, I guess.
3: How no, how have
1: you managed to keep it all
3: together? Oh, man, that's a good one, Brian. Holy crap. Um, I've got an amazing wife. I've got an amazing wife who was able to,
2: um, well, for starters, she's a nurse. So, you know, I I hate to say it, but I think that always comes with a little bit of a, a nurturing uh, attitude. I, I think if a, if a, if anybody gets into the nurture into the nursing profession and they have no sense of having a nurturing attitude, I think they're in the wrong profession um I understand that you gotta you know you gotta have all your knowledge and all of that but um having a lot of empathy and understanding for people that's a big deal so you got that um we both come from very similar backgrounds, very similar families. Ironically enough, there's she's got four brothers and sisters. I've got my sister. Um, her oldest sister, who's, oh, shit, nine years older than she is, she was the, uh, I always tease her because she came along a little late. She was the baby of the family, but she was also a bit of the late baby of the family. And I always say so you were a wild you must have been a wild weekend in Seattle or something. But uh so her older her older sister has six kids. So, so and there's and her other sister's got four. There's we're, there's no divorce in this family. None. Not in either side. My, there's before divorce. I, I think, I don't know, it, with this family, I think if if you get divorced, I think you just explode or something. I, I'm terrified <laughs> of, the, of the thought.
1: Do you guys have, like, a special uh, magic formula that to solve your disagreements?
2: No, no. You know, the kids, we, and you know this, too, because the, when the kids are younger, they really do take up an unbelievable amount of time and uh, you, there's a lot of statistics that show that um the sometimes marriage will, will stay together right up until the kids leave home or get to the point where they are taking care of themselves and the mom and dad have way more time to spend with each other and they realize that they don't really like each other very much you know <laughs> they haven't realized because they've been so busy dealing with the kids and all this shit with the kids um I don't know. Me and Nancy spent many years together um, because we couldn't have kids. There was they didn't know about how to how to do that when I was injured. That didn't come until oh man, I was probably eight nine years post injury before Doctor Zaz started all his studies out at it at UBC, um, and then I was fortunate enough to have. Uh, the same therapist that Rick Hansen had, and it was Christine Carpenter, and then she got hooked up with Dr. Zaz at his clinic, and and she was the one who started phoning her spinal cord injury guys that she had worked with over the years, you know, and and it was basically I got a phone call one morning from her, and she. Oh, hi, it's Christine. Oh, Christine, Julie, I haven't talked to you in years. Oh, yes, how are you doing? Are you and Nancy still together? It was like her first question. I went, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, we still are. And she said, uh, "She says, well, she says, would you guys be interested in maybe trying to have some kids? And I went, yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. So that's how that happened. But we had gotten, you know, we had almost kind of reside to the fact that we might not have kids and we enjoyed each other. We liked being around each other. Whenever we did things together, we had a good time doing things. So the kids and now that the kids are grow, growing up and away, ironically enough, I still feel exactly the same way. Wow. Like I still enjoy go we, we oh we've always tried to have one night a week when the kids were growing up younger, it was the The family out night, uh, no cooking. We'd either order in or the family would go out for dinner. And then of course, when the kids got older and they were doing all their shit, it more or less turned into a date night. So, you know, like one night a week, we go out for dinner. You don't have to cook. You don't have to clean up. I don't have to cook and clean up. We just go out, we have dinner together and we call it a date night. It's it's nothing special. It's just dinner out. When the motor, during the summer, when the motorcycle, when I'm using the motorcycle, we tend to do it around. You know, pop on the bike, go for an hour ride, stop for a bite to eat, and then you know, come back, make an evening of it. So she's always there's another reason to you know why why do you stay together? She's always supported the shit that I want to do, and sometimes you you know it. Other women would have just looked at me and went, "No fucking way!" You know, <laughs> you go ahead and do whatever you want, but I'm not going to be here to watch you do it. Was well, she's never, she never really been like that. She's always, you know, if you want to do it, go ahead, give it a try. I don't care. So, and I always felt the same way with her, right? You know, when she wanted to go back to school, then you know, first it was nursing degree, and then it was, you know, I
1: wanted more. Okay, no problem. So, so, so she did a lot of school
2: yeah right through right through to her master's degree
3: oh wow that's awesome
1: does she yeah. teach
2: she did a little bit
3: cool yeah i you know she
2: she enjoys that aspect of of the like the whole learning aspect so much i wouldn't even be surprised that she'd go back and try for her phd it really wouldn't surprise me that's how the type of person that she is so
1: likes like sopping up the the knowledge
2: yes yeah she really enjoys that
1: are you a are you a grandpappy yet no no
2: no no are you it's
3: gonna happen
2: we're we're gonna be a little bit late because again we got started a little bit late and my oldest daughter who is now at I refer to as prime baby making age
1: um, <laughs> it's not your face
2: <laughs> is totally not interested neither her or her husband are interested in it in having kids and so it's like you know it's something i can do about it i can't force him to do that um i tease them a lot about it but i can't force him to do it my youngest one will definitely have kids she's talked about it lots and lots But she wants to get her law degree. You know, she wants to get herself established before she, you know, your first year as a lawyer with a new law firm isn't the time to start going off on maternity Oh,
1: oh boy. That, er, a friend was, no, who was telling me, I think actually my daughter was telling me that um, her friend's dad, who is a lawyer, said, be anything you can be anything you want to be. Don't be a lawyer, because <laughs> it's so freaking hard now. Like, not that it wasn't hard before, but it seems like it's even harder now.
2: Yeah. Um, well, she's really lucky. I think she's gone uh, to to a small town and to a smaller law firm. Now, it's the biggest law firm in Kamloops, or the second biggest law firm in Kamloops. But as law firms go, it's it's peanuts, really. The big ones are all in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 when I go out there and I, I drive around Kamloops and, uh, you know, rush hour traffic in Kamloops and there's 20 cars at the light and that's rush hour traffic. I think, you know, why wouldn't you stay up here? I, it's nice up here. Yeah, the winters are a little cold, and they get a little, and they do get, you know, some snow. But man, you know the summers are beautiful. Really make up for it, and really, do you want to come back to the hustle and bustle of the city? Holy shit! You know, because she talks about you know, well, I got to come back to Vancouver if I really want to make you know make a career, a really good career of being a lawyer. I said, you're better off being happy. Yeah, you
3: know that that seems to be a struggle for a lot of our kids
1: are. Our kids age, you know they're they're strug- they're struggling to find the happiness. I I feel like some of them. It's, it's yeah, a well, confusing I, time. I think. I kind of feel sorry
2: for them a little bit too, because you know, so defining, you know, how do your parents define? How did your parents define happiness? Well, it was kind of a lot of it has to come around security. That has to come around with like owning your own home and making decent buck and having a decent car to drive around, that's getting harder and freaking harder to do. You know, like, I just, I can't believe what, what was the latest I heard they want to cap the the government. Is it, is it Ontario or some, I can't remember what bill. I want to cap the um, everybody's wages, 1% uh, increase. But inflation is going up at 4.5%, you know? No. So, I don't know. It's the it's going to be a struggle for kids, I, you know. Unfortunately, I our generation just uh, my parents helped us out a little bit. I don't know about you, but I remember my parents when I was first married. My parents helped me out a little bit, helped us out getting into our first house. I've helped both of my kids get into their first house, and it's it's pretty much I think it's almost what you have to do to get around all the all the rules now. They're expected to come up. You know, they talk about making it easier to get a house. But after the big crash um, in 08, and it really we didn't really get the crash. The U.S. did, but, of course, our, all our banks reeled. And they they in put this thing over it. If you don't have 20% down, you pay a penalty to get your mortgage. It's like a $10,000 penalty and i'm thinking how the hell is that helping somebody get into their first house it's not somebody who's bought, rebuying well they've already got their 20% down it's that's a piece of cake for them they've already unless they you know unless they bought and sold in 2 weeks and expected to make that that 20% above but you know, which, ironically enough, in Vancouver, that's not even a joke anymore, but, you know, that, yeah, that's another story altogether, isn't
1: oh, it? Oh, I, I yeah. just, like, there's so many cans of worms here we can pry open. Oh, my God. You're, uh, you're uh, re- retired now, so uh, mm-hmm. what's going on in retired, Bill? Uh,
3: hey, good question. Uh, well, we want to do some travel.
2: And of course, COVID's pretty much taken care of that. Um, I'd sure like to. I, I'm really hoping that we're going to be able 2022. I'm hoping to take a trip. Uh, we want to do our South Africa safari thing. I've been looking forward to. Um, the political thing in South Africa is a little dicey, but we we contacted the. Uh, the company that's doing the thing, and they're, they're telling us that they guarantee that there won't be no trouble, that they don't take us anywhere where there's going to be any any kind of problems. So, uh, of course, that's an easy promise to make. It's a whole different story when you're standing on the side of the road a gun, and a gorilla's pointing this gun at your head. So, but we'll see what happens. But travel and, uh, well, like we just talked about grandkids. is, i'd love to i'd love to fill my time
1: with the grandkids that would be great yeah that'd be kind of cool to have some little grand chilies around yeah
2: i've been more than happy to you know help the kids out yeah look after the look after their children if they need it so i think that would uh if the youngest stays in Camlets, i probably could see us moving up into that
1: area. That'd be nice, eh? Yeah. Could give me a call. I'd come and uh, visit It'd only take me a couple hours.
3: Well, ironically,
2: I was looking at possibly uh, investing in maybe some sort of recreational property up there. But uh, we'll see. A- affordable uh, lakefront property right now, pretty much the only thing that i could afford it would be looking up in your area green lake uh any one of those lakes are still money-wise attainable the okanagan is it's insane oh my god if you if you've got lake lakefront on lake okanagan it, it's you know million and a half dollars
1: minimum oh yeah even so, green lake there's a lot of million dollars yeah oh yeah
2: absolutely green lake loon lake uh yeah you the the real prime stuff is gone uh i've i've recently started looking at adam's lake so, yeah it's a nice it,
3: lake i've been it's there
2: a, it's a nice lake really deep one of the deepest lakes in the whole country. Um, but not not a ton of development yet, so there might still be some potential there uh, to you know get in and and get some some sort of recreational property. But I don't know. I think that's that might be a bit of a dream. Yeah, I would consider, I would consider buying a motorhome though, and that would be another thing to do.
3: Well, you could come and
1: park it on my pond if you want. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh I'll go and get the I'll go and get the pontoon boat I'll bring it up and park it on your pod.
1: There you oh, go. Oh there you go. You can go and uh, fish there. Yeah. Before you retired, uh you were working at Bats Mobility. Um how did you get started working
3: with Advanced?
2: Oh um I actually was a customer of
3: Dave Elders. I met Dave Where the heck did I meet Dave? God damn, I can't even remember. I think I stumbled into his store. He, Dave Elder, had a little
2: tiny store. It was uh, again, you know, not everybody's going to know the area of Vancouver I'm talking about, but uh, Renfrew Park Community Center. It's a little, it's a pool, uh, uh, gymnasium, community center that sits in East Vancouver on Twenty Second and Renfrew. and right across the street is a is the Three Links. Uh, uh, old folks home extended care facility, however you want to refer to it. And Dave had rented out the little bottom section of that, of their building. There was a couple of retail spots there. Oh, yeah. And I think I was at Renfrew park and looked over and seen some wheelchairs in the window one day. And then I went over there and, you know, it was unbelievable. A very unusual a time to meet anybody in a wheelchair selling wheelchairs. That's there was there was only a couple of wheelchair companies in town, and you gotta understand, you know that these are. This is back in the in the days of E and J wheelchairs. Everybody had the same wheelchair, and it was an E and J. Uh, and Dave, you know, so the, I had, I had recently, about two years before, um, bought a quickie. Uh, quickie folder, quickie two folder. And um, I was having trouble. I had broken a couple of cross frames on it. And so I, I literally wheeled into Dave's shop one day and said, this is the problem I'm having with this chair. And he sold me a quadra. And he sold me a quadra because a quadra had two cross frames. So even if you broke one, you still had another one. To <laughs> up. So the chair just wouldn't collapse underneath you. And then uh, and and then I started and then I said to him, at when I bought the chair, oh, I need if you know if I'm not going to go to B if I'm going to come and buy my stuff from you, um, can you get me catheters? Because that's the only other thing that I get from BC MedEquip. And so he went, yeah. He says I'll I'll figure a way to get you catheters. So he must have did some phone calls and he started supplying. And so the first time i met dave uh and bruce cuz he had a partner at the time the shop was oh my god it probably wasn't bigger than the living room they had two desks each, each guy had a desk they had four maybe four wheelchairs maybe one brand new one <laughs> and and roger wrenching in the back uh roger's probably gone before you even started with advance started working with us
1: was
2: Roger uh, a mechanic? Roger was a mechanic, a yeah, guy. Yeah, I, I met a Roger. Du- double
1: amputee.
2: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you, obviously that goes back a ways, right, and Rogers, Roger passed away like probably almost ten years ago now. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, so that's <laughs> how I met Dave, and basically, so. Oh, God, I don't know, five, six years went by. I bought my tires from him. I bought my catheters, and uh, Bruce left. And then his girlfriend at the time, Kathy Elder, came to work. Uh, Her name was Kehoe, actually. Kathy Kehoe went to work for him. Uh, Roger was still working for them. And then right at the, the same time that the printing company I was working for closed down, They moved. He bought a new place It was part of the old Stong's grocery store on, instead of being on Renfrew in 22nd, they moved up the hill to Rupert in 22nd. And they got a section of, they got the side section of that store. um, Because the business was expanding. This is like almost five years later. He's getting more and more business. And uh and I lost my job. And he said to me one day, he says you, he, do you want to come and give this a try?" And I went, "Yeah, okay." So I worked for him for about six months. I was collecting UIC from being basically from the printing company closing. We all got let go, so we were all eligible for UIC. I was collecting UIC, and I was working for Dave one day a week on saturdays and it was because uh there was a guy that he had hired that was supposed to do it and it never
3: happened and then that guy quit and i ended up with this job so then what was your role tech service tech Fixing chairs, to, oh, chairs. Building, chairs. building
2: chairs yeah putting the chairs together it was way more rudimental when i first got into it we used to build a lot of wheels i got very good at hand building wheels Uh, dave had bought a spoke cutter which was he had paid quite a bit of money for it back then i think almost two grand to get this really nice phil wood spoke cutter so that he could build wheels and he would order uh boxes of rims and hubs and spokes and we would build wheels and he would sell them to well at the time all the wheelchair sports people uh, because there was no Spinergy wheels. There was no solid wheels for playing quad rugby. If you played murder ball, every week we'd get 10 broken wheels. Basketball.
1: Probably 10 broken, broken legs wheels. too, eh? What's that? Probably 10 broken legs as well. Uh, Well, I yeah
2: i I wouldn't doubt it i mean i wasn't I wasn't playing basketball. I was just fixing their damn wheels well they used to they used to hate it The wheelchair services at g s strong hated it when we played murder ball when we were in rehab because it was the same thing every next morning we'd all be downstairs in a lineup, wheelchair services with our uh, half the spokes broken out of one wheel and you know what do you tell oh, what's the object of this game? Oh, you know, you're, too, you're a bunch of
3: fucking type
2: a, type a personality, 23 year old guys. What's the, We're going to give you the ball. And if you can get the other end of the gym without anybody taking it away from you, you score a point. Okay. I get the idea of this game. What a great game, too. Hey? It's called Murder Ball. Duncan, Duncan Campbell was smart enough to make it legit. Yeah. And he did a hell of a job because I mean it's like
1: known all over the world now. oh it was murder ball when we played it. I know it's so it's so crazy how uh how things just evolve into like a sport that that now really is known all around the world. Everybody oh, totally. knows about it.
2: Oh and the really and the, the wheelchair uh the wheelchair rugby is like one of the biggest attractions at the Paralympic games. Like they fill the stadium, they fill the stands for those games at the Paralympic games. Not all the Paralympic events are like that. Some of them don't have near the amount of focus or uh, attention that, that wheelchair rugby, wheelchair basketball,
3: racing. Hey, when you were, uh, when you were pulling wrenches, were did, did people ever sort of like
1: act weird towards you because you're another guy in a chair? It's like, or were they like, right Hey, this is awesome. There's another guy in a chair. I can I think, relate I think to me doing
2: what I did and being in a chair. It, it worked really well. I I think. When you're dealing with, when you're in a chair and you're dealing with somebody else in a chair, I think right off the bat, there is a little bit of a level of of trust between you. I mean, I got no reason to, to dislike somebody else in a chair unless he gives me a reason to.
3: I never had, no,
2: never felt that way. It definitely played an advantage when I went into sales, especially into GF Strong. you went went through it you remember doing the client interviews yeah right and so you you, and back then i was the only guy in a chair that was doing it
3: that's true that's true you
1: you were the only guy that was coming in that was um,
2: and before before me then that would have been dave is I took over doing it for Dave. Dave used to go in and do all the manual chairs. We had another guy named Charles who did the power, and Dave would go in and, and assist, but Dave, Dave was also running the company, so he had less and less
1: and less time
2: to do that.
1: So, Charles, I feel like I remember somebody named Charles. Who Charles was
2: that? like a bodybuilder, a big pumped-up guy. We had two guys did you did you deal with chris bronkowski is that who you got your power chair
1: from yeah chris was my uh my i guess my ot OT? no well he would have worked
2: with your. he worked with
1: ot yeah sorry get your power
2: chair probably other things like your bed and some bathroom safety equipment that that kind of stuff yeah. And then I worked, I worked. So Chris is my partner. He did power. I did manual. Uh, you knew me because I worked at GS Strong. Uh, manual wheelchair is always done with the physiotherapist, which in any other rehab setting is very weird. Physiotherapists don't usually have anything to do with equipment. GS Strong is a bit of an anomaly that way.
1: Yeah. You remember uh, coming into the park? I think I remember you going. Where the fuck am I? <laughs> Driving in on the road into my uh, house there. Did you
3: come
2: oh, in there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a little. Con- it gets a little confusing when you when you drive in. And you know, I, I ironically enough, I've lived in the I've lived in the lower Maine a whole life, but I'd never been to Headwaters Park. I'd never been up there before. And and when you enter the park, you're thinking, well, hold on here. This is a park. People don't live in the park. There's no residences (laughs) in the park.
1: You thought it'd be living under a mushroom or something.
2: Well, it's funny I I say that, though. But, you know, when we were young in East Vancouver, all these little blocks, square block parks in East Vancouver used to have a washroom at the top. And they had a caretaker that lived in, Half of that building on the park they don't they haven't been like that for years yeah. years but they used to be like that when i was a kid so you couldn't you couldn't go late at night and hang around the park Or the caretaker would come out with a stick and chase your ass out of there
1: well you there was uh there was one across from gf wasn't there
2: yes that the but the difference is, is by that time now you're on the west side of vancouver Oh, right, not the east side not of not the east
1: side
2: of America. not on the east side. I grew up on the east side of town. It, they, you know, it's I guess it's not that big a deal anymore. But when I was a kid, that was a big deal. You were either you were either east side of town or west side of town, and never the two shall meet.
1: No, the, I, the west oh man, I, I got it was my ass chased.
2: Oh, gee, I got my ass chased out of the east side of the west side of town so many times we going to in town. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, you know, not fucking go. You ain't to go over and get some strange tail, right?
1: Yeah. You're always looking, always looking so, somewhere else.
2: <laughs> looking over your shoulder, man. Holy, yeah. <laughs> And it was the same way. They, if they wanted to come to our side of town, we treated them exactly
1: the same way.
2: You're on the wrong place. You should know better than this. And if you don't, we're going to teach you right now.
1: I remember hearing about rumbles in the, at the rec center. And going oh, all the all the
2: time. Holy shit. Every park had a, a little gang. We had the Riley Park gang, the Kesinger Park gang, the Clark Park gang. Jesus, they wrote a book about
3: the Clark Park gang. Why, what did they do? Oh, they got, um, <clears throat> oh, I should give you the book to read.
2: <laughs> it. They got into, uh, it was part of a murder thing with the Vancouver police. It, you have to, it's, it's an old, old thing. You're not, you weren't, uh, where were you raised?
1: Um, uh-huh. North Van like right out uh, near oh, really? Cal Road. Yeah.
2: Oh Chris and but I've got I've got a few years on you age wise too, so
1: what are you're about six, eight years older than me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, the Clark you're not. Park, that Clark How
1: old thing. are you now?
2: Sixty five. Oh, okay. You're five years older. Okay.
3: Well, That's cool. weird. Now the Clark Park
2: thing that happened when we were in high that happened when we were in high school. That made
3: It made the newspapers, Vancouver Sun and Province, both had stuff in it. Wow. So I think uh,
2: somebody, one of the Clark Park guys got shot by the Vancouver police. A Vancouver cop, I believe, got hurt. One of the Clark Park guys got shot by the Vancouver, one of the Vancouver police. It was a really weird situation, happened behind the old Biltmore Hotel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that's interesting. You know, you know some you're not that much younger than me because we know a lot. I know a few of the people that you know because I worked at Agency Press, so I know. Uh, um,
1: well, the owners of it. The, the, the uh, I know you know Greg Hayes.
2: Yeah, well, Greg and, and Greg Hayes and his dad.
1: Yeah, Barry. Yeah.
2: There's a few other people too. Well the Clippingdales, but most of the
3: Clippingdales aren't None of them are with us anymore. They're uh, one of the Clippingdales, uh
2: Greg would have known Gary, of course, Gary and Terry. Uh Gary's son ended up uh, Gary's daughter ended up as a really high quad.
1: Yeah, she had a, an injury, didn't she? Uh Yeah.
2: Christina she- Clippingdale.
1: Christina, right?
2: Yeah, she's a frail little tiny thing, but yeah, again, you know, she passed away under mysterious circumstances.
1: Yeah, I know she wasn't happy on.
2: No, yeah. she was not a happy camper at all.
1: But that's, uh, you know, I guess something we all un- uh, understand and accept everybody's
3: makes their own choices yeah yeah absolutely hey let's get over to something different here uh i know you're a
1: jack of all trades and uh, we have worked together in the past you think the knowledge you've that you have and others like you have is being passed on to the next generation enough
0: thanks for listening to quad life Tune in next week and hear the other half of the interview with Ed. Well, that's it for the show today. As always, just shit your pants and get back out there.